shouts with a voice of triumph to declare the reign of the Lord our God. Yeah. We will not be moved and the earth is waiting for the reign. for your word. Let us remember as it says in John, it says, in me you may have peace. It's true that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We thank you, Lord, for that. At times, our earthly struggles can feel all-consuming, where we're at a loss against the giant of our troubles. But church, there is a peace and a confidence and an authority available to us in our faith in Jesus. When we look to this overcomer, as a victory over spiritual death, every battle he enters, he has won. He gives us faith, and God gives us the victory through Jesus. This faith can move mountains. His name can break down walls. And this morning, with a new song, let us glorify this miraculous, victorious Savior with our worship, with our whole heart. battle you've won 
church, when we surrender and worship, it's a supernatural moment with his presence and his power in Jesus' name. Walls come down, miracles resound. It's all in your power, in your presence is available.
Celebrate your victory, Jesus. We worship you this morning. We give you praise and we remember that you said, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. You have the last word, Lord. You are King of kings, Lord of lords. You are our master, our savior. We worship you this morning. We submit to you, Lord, to your grace, to your holiness to your love. Be exalted in your church, Jesus, we pray this morning. Be glorified in the temple of our hearts. You are the living God. What you say is more real than the earth we stand on, and we worship you, God, and thank you and praise you. Church, let us, let us pray together like a family, the way Jesus taught us. His prayer through which he said we would learn to pray. Let us pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Welcome to second service this morning. It's okay to get a little bit excited about what lies ahead of us because of Jesus. Take just a moment say hi to the person next to you. Welcome them to church. Would you do that, please? in phase two. I can take that off when I speak. I almost forgot about that. Good morning. Welcome, church. It is great to see you. Welcome to everyone who's joining us online as well. And 
And just a quick note to those of us who are joining us online, we, we've instituted a new system this morning for our live stream. It's something called Resi that is supposed to wash away all those buffering problems that we sometimes get. We hope that that's your experience this morning. So, you know, maybe drop us a quick email if, uh, if things, uh, you know, are a little smoother this morning uh, because we hope that they are and that's what we're aiming for. Welcome to those of you who are here. We are uh, getting further and further into this new thing. I probably talked to 15 people this morning who've been vaccinated and are rejoicing in that, moving beyond those concerns. So it's a pretty neat time. We're going to come out the backside of this church. We're getting there. Amen? Amen? Raise your hand if you could not care less who wins the Super Bowl today. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm right there too. I think it'll, it'll be one of those times when you can turn it down really low and fall asleep on the couch and just have an awesome nap, right? It'll be one of those. Uh, so I, I don't know if that's bitterness or what that is, but that's what I'm feeling there. So welcome again. A couple, couple things, uh, friends, to make us aware of this morning. Uh, one is that tomorrow night... Uh, is our monthly ladies' fellowship dinner, Sisters of Strength. That'll be happening here uh, in the sanctuary at 6.30 tomorrow night. So ladies, bring a friend, come as you are. Um, no cost associated with anything, but uh, Sisters of Strength happens every month, just like Band of Brothers does for the men. So that's tomorrow night, 6.30. Be aware of that. Also, uh, this Wednesday is the first Wednesday in which the, the kindergarten through second graders also are going to be able to be part of our Wednesday night kids clubs. So impact happens on Wednesday night along with youth group for the teenagers and starting this Wednesday, kindergarten through second grade, have a class, teacher, staff, the whole thing. So that'll be happening on Wednesday night at 6.30 as well. So uh, something to be aware of, your child, your grandchild, their friends uh, want to come and be a part of it. We have a terrific time on Wednesday night. So impact for the little ones uh, also happening. It's called Forged, uh, also happening uh, on Wednesday night this week. And then the last thing is that um, this is kind of a, a special Sunday for us as a church. Every year uh, in February, we, we set aside a Sunday to offer you the opportunity to get involved in child sponsorship. Now, we as a church, uh, we support 28 missionaries and missions agencies around the world uh, on a monthly basis, an ongoing basis. Uh, so every time each of us gives in the offering, a portion of that is always going to these various missions and missionaries. But the other side of what we do in missions is we invite people to step into that personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with some of the poorest kids in our world. Uh, and we do that through a couple of agencies. We do that through Compassion International. That's uh, one that probably a lot of us have heard about. It's been worldwide since the 50s. It's been around for a long time. Rhonda and I have been involved with Compassion for almost 35 years now. And if you go into our kitchen, there's pictures on our fridge, the three kids that we're sponsoring right now. And when one of them graduates, we get another one. And, and that has been a, a wonderfully uh, satisfying journey to go on over and over and over again. We also partner with a, a homegrown ministry called Mercy Reigns uh, International, founded and led by Larry and Char Travis, part of our congregation. They work in Uganda through child sponsorship in the same way. And so we've got both Compassion and Mercy Reigns, kids that are uh, available for sponsorship and adoption. And when you leave uh, service today, you can stop by one of the tables in the foyer and, and look into what that's all about. And there's actually kids out there that you can pick and go home sponsoring today. It's a pretty cool thing. It's a Jesus thing. That's why we do it, and it makes enormous difference. So, you know, it might be something you want to look into on your way out. Just stop by. I'm warning you, though, once you start looking at the kids, it can be hard to walk away. Uh, so uh, just be, be prepared for that. It's great to see you. It's great to be with you. Uh, grab your Bible, if you would, and open it to John's Gospel, chapter 17. Huge appreciation to Pastor Weston and the worship team. They get in here at 530 in the morning on Sundays. We should just appreciate them a little bit, and then they stay here all morning and do that. Really matters, really makes a big difference, and the rest of us appreciate that uh, so much. John's Gospel, chapter 17, and, and friends, you'll remember that since the first of the year, uh, we have been uh, exploring a very specific promise that Jesus gave us. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and following, our Lord said this, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you, settle on your shoulders my leadership, my teaching, my expectations, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
And we have been exploring what it looks like these last three weeks to take his yoke upon us, to settle Jesus' leadership in our lives. And you remember we learned in the first week that to take his yoke upon us means to listen to him 10 minutes a day in the Gospels, every day, just to hear him, to let him speak to us. Uh, that's the first part of pulling that yoke over our shoulders, the first practical reality. And the second week, we talked about the fact that serving one another is how we settle that yoke on our shoulders, whether it's in our family or our community or our church or our workplace, or our school, whatever it is. When we choose to deliberately see ourselves as the servants of other people for their benefit, we experience rest for our souls. And last week, we learned that Settling his yoke on our shoulders means confessing our sins and saying, God, you know what? You're right about some of this stuff, and I admit that, and I'm wrong about some of it, and our world is wrong about it, so I'm coming to you personally. We talked about how it has to be personal because he's a father, and we're his sons and daughters, so to repent, that, that is to settle his yoke of leadership in our lives, and what happens when we do? is that we experience rest for our souls. This morning, we're kind of turning through the halfway point. And this morning, we're going to learn another part of what it means to settle his yoke on our shoulders. And, and, and let me begin by, by asking you kind of a weird, unusual question, okay? Here's the question. What do you think Jesus prays for you specifically? Now... Because we have weird ideas about prayer, because we think of prayer only as a tool to get things done, we often wonder, well, why does Jesus need to pray? He's got all the power in the world. He can do whatever he wants. That uh, reveals how much we misunderstand what prayer really is. But I asked the question this morning because the Bible tells us that that's what he's doing for us right now. The scripture says he is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, praying for us. We can read about that in Romans chapter 8, we read about that in Hebrews chapter 7. It's a consistent thread. What Jesus is doing right now is praying for you. Think about that for a moment. And then ask yourself this, what is it he's praying for you? What do you think he's praying for you? What does he want for you? He loves us more than anyone else. He calls us his sons and daughters. You know, to kind of get a, a, a grip on this, when you get really serious about praying for your kids, when you recognize that their life is more than just what happens here on earth, then how do you pray for them? Jesus, in this moment, is praying for us. What do you think it is he prays for you? I, I came across a website this week that uh, just had some, uh, a list of fun prayer requests that kids submitted, you know, little ones, uh, grade schoolers. I thought I'd share a few of them with you. For example, this one little girl said, Dear God, my mom says you have a reason for everything, but I guess broccoli's just a mystery, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? Kids' prayer. Another little girl said, or boy said, Dear God, please forgive me for hiding my sister's doll and don't tell her where it is. <laughs> kind of not getting the point, I don't think, there. Dear God, please make my mom not allergic to cats. I want one and I don't want her to have to move out. <laughs> That's real, right? That's how kids pray. Dear God, please get me a smartphone. Santa must have forgotten, you know, uh, Dear God, I saw my brother walking out of the shower on accident. Can you erase that from my brain? <laughs> That's real, you know. Dear God, I hope my dog is with you in heaven. Please take care of him. I'm sorry if he chews on your sandals. You know, those are, those are kids' prayers. And, and they're sweet and they're warm. But when we hear them, we recognize that they're not really wise. That they are kids' prayers. By contrast, when Jesus prays for you, when Jesus prays for me, it's always with the utmost awareness, the utmost understanding, the grasp of everything that's going on inside of us, around us, in the spirit, in the flesh. What do you suppose it is that he prays for you? We're actually going to find out this morning because the scripture reveals what's on his heart when he goes to prayer for us here in John chapter 17. And we're going to walk through this passage beginning with verse 14 down through verse 23. So if you want to follow along in your Bible, let me give you some context. This is what we call the night of the Last Supper. So Jesus is about to be arrested and go to the cross. 
And he's spent this evening with the disciples, and he's taught them final things. He's uh, challenged them in some specific ways. He's prayed for them very specifically. Through chapter 15 and 16, we hear him pray for himself. We see him pray for the disciples, that is the 12. And then in this passage that we're looking at this morning, he is going to turn kind of like an actor in a camera and look at the camera and pray for you and me specifically. So let's listen to what's on his heart in this moment. Beginning with verse 14, Jesus says, I have given them, that is the 12, I've given them your word and the world has hated them. They are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And in that moment, Jesus is reminding us that his followers are saying something to the world that doesn't make sense if the world is all there is. Our message acknowledges the inevitable reality that every one of us is facing, which is that we're going to step out of this life. And Jesus knows that. Paul writes about the same thing over in 1 Corinthians 15 when he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. What is he saying? He's saying we're about something much bigger that goes far beyond this life. Jesus says, they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer, catch this, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. Wow. I'll be honest with you, sometimes that's my prayer. (laughs) Lord, I'm done. I've had enough. Let's move on, okay? I'm ready for what's next. Let's get out of here. But Jesus doesn't pray that for me. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That is what's going on inside of us in the realm of the Spirit. He says, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now, let's pause for a second and recognize that what Jesus is saying here is, God, I know that you're seeking people who are disconnected from you. And these friends of mine know that now. I've taught them that. So I'm not asking you to rescue them from this world. I'm asking you to send them into it with a purpose. So just grasp this at the outset. Jesus' desire for you and I is not that we would escape what's going on in this world, but that we would enter into it with purpose. You know, to put it another way, when I was a corpsman, a, a medic in the military, you know, we were taught that our purpose was not to stay safe. Our purpose was not to find a secure corner of the battlefield and hang out and not get hurt. Our purpose was to run onto it for the sake of others. And to put aside our own safety for the sake of others. With that spirit, Jesus is praying to his disciples here. And sometimes, you know, if we're honest, we start to say to ourselves, man, just I want to find a safe corner of this world and check out. Jesus says, Greg, that's not what I am praying for you. I want to send you into it. I want to send you into it with a purpose, with my purpose. And then... He prays specifically for you and me because our relationship to one another is the key to carrying out his purpose. Look what he says, verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. That is for the 12. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. We are here today because those disciples became apostles and preached the gospel and planted churches and, and it grew and one person shared with them. We are the people now he is specifically praying for. And look at what he prays, verse 21. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I, I asked the question, what do you think Jesus would pray for you? Here's the answer. He prays that you and me would be one just as the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. Wow. What a high standard. What a mouthful Jesus prays here. Let's break it down a little bit. And first of all, understand that he's revealing his love for us in this moment. That's why he's praying for us. Second of all, notice that he's asking for something specific in your life and in mine. And what he's asking is that we would be one, that we would be united in fellowship, in relationship, in love, in commitment to each other, that we would be united like the unity that exists in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Wow. 
in his <laughs> that wasn't on cue, so I don't know what that was. <laughs> Is that an amen from on high? I don't know what it is. But he is praying that our oneness would be like that of the Trinity. Wow. So stop and think for a moment. Again, what is it that Jesus, who knows you most, who knows everything going on around and in you most, who loves you most, what do you think he prays for you? He prays that you would be united to your fellow believers. He prays that we would be one. The Apostle Paul picks up on this, this spirit over in Philippians chapter 2 when he says this to us. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing, Greg, out of selfish ambition, or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. He's talking about among believers. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is a radically different way of life. Most of us grow up thinking, what's best for me? How do I get blessed? How do I get ahead? What's good for me and where can I find it? But Jesus prays for something different for us. And he prays for that something different because of his greater love for us than even we have for ourselves. And because of his greater wisdom and understanding of how we work inside out. You know, when I read that passage in Philippians 2, I think of the old coach speak bromide. There is no I in team. You know, the difference between a team sport and an individual sport is that on a team, you're always looking to contribute what the team needs, not necessarily what's best for you. And it's in that spirit that Paul speaks. This is why every husband who changes diapers is a superhero. Because he really wasn't meant to do that. That was meant for his wife to do. But when he steps in, I'm kidding. <laughs> What happens when a husband and a wife own parenting completely is much better than when one does and one doesn't. What happens when one defers to the other constantly in a servant-hearted spirit is what they're trying to achieve by every other way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition, but instead consider others better than yourself. Let, let me tell you a secret. You'll notice this if you stick around long enough. You've already noticed it if you have stuck around long enough in churches, and that is this. Inevitably, the happiest and most satisfied people are the ones serving the most. You know, a lot of us say, well, gosh, it doesn't take up a lot of my time, so I'm getting the most out of it. Not true. It's those who are serving who are the most satisfied, complete, and whole in their spirits. And Jesus is praying that for us. You know, there is no I in team, but sometimes there's a lot of me in church. Jesus says, hey, I've got something better for you. So you know what, Greg? I'm going to pray that you would be united with fellow believers, even though it's your personality, your nature, to kind of be solitary. It's actually better for you, Greg to be united to your fellow believer. Listen to, to how deep this goes. Listen to the kind of unity God seeks for us. We read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says to us, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. In other words, you are God's presence in the world and each one of you is a part of it, not the whole, not by yourself, but together you are the body. The body is a unit, he says, though it is made up of many parts. Though its parts are many, they form one body. In other words, they're united. Christians, churches, believers, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit, the reality of God, is given to each one for the common good so that the body can contribute to the rest of the body, so the parts can receive from the rest of the body. As the, in other words, you and I, grasp this, friends, are not complete alone, nor can we be. And so Jesus prays that we would be one, just as the Father and Son are one. In July of 2017, something awesome happened 
outside of Panama City, Florida. Roberta Ursi and her family were at the beach when she looked up and noticed that her two sons, nine and ten, who had gone swimming were screaming and waving from the ocean as they were dragged out to sea, caught in a riptide. Roberta and her family immediately jumped into the ocean to try to save them, but they couldn't. The boys were already too far out. But that's when Jessica Simmons and her husband Peter, who had just pulled into the beach parking lot, also saw what was happening. Jessica, being a champion swimmer, grabbed a boogie board somebody had left in the sand and started paddling out to help, while her husband started organizing people on the beach and the parking lot, anybody, everybody he could pull together. And over the next 20 minutes, the people on the beach formed a chain over 80 people long stretching out into the ocean. Past the midway point of the chain, people's feet weren't even touching the ground. They were just holding on to each other. They got themselves the chain out to within a few feet of the terrified family. That's, or the boys. That's when Jessica made the final difference, paddling back and forth on the boogie board one at a time to bring the boys back to the chain. And then all returned to the shore and not one person died that day. Now church, it's not hard for you to understand that on the beach afterwards, it was a party and nobody needed to get drunk to feel good. Every person was a hero. Everybody was happy, hugging each other, high-fiving each other, grinning stupidly. Everybody knew they had a purpose and everyone knew their lives were made and meant to be part of something bigger than themselves and church Every soul was rested. Jesus sends us as his church into the world in that spirit, knowing that what we will feel if we go with him will be the most rested soul you can possibly imagine. This is why he prays this for us. Because when we are united in his purpose, we will know a rest that can't be found anywhere else. A rest that goes beyond this life. A rest that has to do with not only now, but forever. Now, a couple of little details here before we turn into the home stretch. Understand that when Jesus prays for our unity, he's not asking for our uniformity. Okay? We are not meant to be all the same, cookie cutters, dressing, walking, talking, and acting the same. That's what they do in the military. That's not what we do in God's church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 makes this very plain in describing the nature of a church. And in 1 Corinthians 12, the scripture says we're made different, not uniform, for a purpose. Listen, listen to how Paul describes it in verse 14 of chapter 12. He says, now the body, this body that he was talking about that each one of us is a part of, he says the body is not made up of one part but of many. If the foot were to say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. But we say those kinds of things to ourselves. Well, I'm not like everybody else, therefore I can't be part of it. Hey, clue, we're all not like everybody else. We aren't uniform, we are united. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Boy, that's we could spend a whole morning talking about that. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, catch this, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. He made us different on purpose because when we are united, instead of being uniform, the sum is greater than the whole of the parts. We become more than we would be if we were all exactly the same. Don't listen to the devil's lie that you're different than everyone else around you and so you don't belong. The truth is that you belong precisely because you're a little different. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, you know what, you're a little different. Take just a second to do that. Say, you know what, you're... And that's... Yeah, you're noticing, aren't you? You're, you're seeing it there. But our differentness, the Bible says, is on purpose. Because then when we come together, then when we fit together, it's more beautiful than if we were all the same. This is important to grasp, really important. Our differences are deliberate 
Because then the gospel can be heard through us. Through us. Through us as a we. Through us as a unity. Through us as a body. Church, understand that the sooner you grasp this, the sooner God can use you. You know, Ron and I are very different in many ways. They say that opposites attract, and it's true for us. She's better at some things than me. But we've learned as the years have gone by that that's exactly what makes us so great together. We fit together. Her strengths help my weaknesses and vice versa. And, and then our synergy with our oppositeness makes a beautiful thing. God says that's the way he's designed the church. John Ortberg writes wonderfully about this in a book with maybe my favorite title of all time. The book is Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. <laughs> That's real. He says this, he writes that when we go shopping, so to speak, for a church, we tend to think we're shopping at Nordstrom's when we're really shopping at Goodwill. <laughs> Everybody is secondhand. Everybody's a little worn, a little damaged. <laughs> You might say we're all from the as-is department. You buy it, you're stuck with it, and it's not perfect. When you buy something as-is, you know there's a defect and you accept it. So it is with the church of God. The biggest defect at MRCC stands up front and blabs a lot, but I'm not the only one. <laughs> you are part of it as well. And that's on purpose because then when we come together, it's more beautiful and, as we're going to see in a moment, God can be heard most clearly by other people through our unity. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote profoundly about this when he pointed out that most people love church for what they think it should be more than what it is. In other words, we bring our expectations and we impose them on God's church, a little bit like an abusive husband imposes his demands on his wife. But Bonhoeffer writes, and I quote, he says, God's grace quickly frustrates all such dreams. He says, a great disillusionment with others and with your fellow Christian in general, and if we are fortunate with ourselves, is bound to overwhelm us as surely as God desires to lead us to an understanding of genuine Christian community, unity. The sooner this moment of disillusionment comes, the sooner you realize you're shopping at Goodwill and not Nordstrom's, the better. And here's the killer. For those who love their dream of the church more than they love the church itself become destroyers of the church, even though their intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Why? Because we love what we think it should be more than what it is. But, but church, understand, the only perfection of which you and I are capable here on earth is the giving and receiving of Christ's grace. And it is in the giving and receiving of Christ's grace, in that unity that flows from the humility that comes from having received his grace, in that God becomes visible. John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. That's the idea. So the Bible says, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. And here's the last point I want to make this morning. Jesus not only tells us what he's praying for us, he tells us why he's praying it in this passage in John chapter 17. Listen to what he says. Again, he says, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. We've talked about that. Just as you are in me and I am in you, we've talked about that. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me, may they be brought to complete unity, that's you and me, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. In other words, Jesus knows that the key to making his gospel heard is our unity, is our love for one another. When we choose it, when we receive it, God is heard through us by those who don't know him yet. You know, we have a lot of urban legends and myths about how evangelism happens, and most of them are, are celebrity-based. We all want to be the person who walks up to somebody and says, Thus saith the Lord, and they fall on their knees in the parking lot at QFC and give their heart to Jesus, and their whole life changes, and then we can pat ourselves on the back. But God says that's not how it is. He says, here's how it really works. A person comes in among believers and notices 
how they love one another and their unity. And they begin to think, wow. And then they begin to listen. And they begin to hear the Holy Spirit saying, that's what I want for you. And they listen to those people sometimes for years. And in a corner of their heart, the whole time, the Holy Spirit's working. One man is planting a seed in that life. Another woman is watering a seed in that life. And God is cultivating. And then at the end, it grows. And it was accomplished by all of us as we chose unity. It's why Jesus said in John chapter 4, the day will come when the sower and the reaper rejoice together, the one who planted the seed, the one who harvested the seed. You see, Jesus prays for our unity because he knows that through that, the gospel is heard. We're almost done this morning. Let me just say this, church. Banish from your heart the thought that MRCC or Wabash or Trinity or whatever you want, banish from your heart the idea that they are franchises of a corporation. They're not. They're families. They are, in fact, one family. And as we own that, God is heard in our lives. God is heard by people who don't know him through our unity. That's why Jesus prayed for it. So in other words, we don't become the church for what we get out of it. We become the church for what other people get out of it. Kids that go to kids' church and grow up and seemingly walk away from their faith for a season as they're young adults or whatever, but all the entire time they're remembering what it was like in kids' church. And, and it's, the Spirit is pointing to them saying, your life doesn't have to be this, it can be this. And, and this is where it's found. And they come and, yeah, see, this is why Jesus prays for our unity. Lots of people think that the key to, to preaching the gospel is being really Bible smart or having the gift of miracles or being really successful and wealthy or being really gifted and brave. Jesus disagrees. In fact, he says the devil can do all that and does. He says the key is our love for one another, is our unity, is our choice to be one. You know, here's a stunning thought, and then I'm going to share a story and we'll wind up. Most of the time we think about God answering our prayers. Here's a moment when we actually have the potential to answer the Son of God's prayers. He prays that we would be one, and we say, okay, I'm going to receive that yoke on my shoulders. I'm no longer going to think of my fellow believers as just customers in the, 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 the convenient franchise. I'm going to think of us as a family, as brothers and sisters. Writer and national public radio commentator Heather King became a Christian as a middle-aged woman battling alcoholism. And she shared about her journey and the part that church played in it in an interview on NPR. She said, when I first went to church, my first impulse was to think, oh man, I don't want to get sober with these nutcases. She said, everyone was so different from me. Some were boring, some had different politics, some had different tastes in music and food and books and pretty much everything. And my first impulse was to keep my distance, to run away. But I knew that wasn't what God wanted. I could feel it. So I made myself one of them. And then I began to discover that nothing shatters a wicked ego like worshiping God with people we didn't pick. People who are broken and misguided and wishy-washy sometimes and out for themselves sometimes and mistaken sometimes. People who are, in the end, just like me. And now I know as I have met their Savior, that God doesn't call us to church to be with people like us. He calls us to church to become people like him for the sake of people who don't know him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Jesus' prayer for you and me and us. So let's finish with just the last five minutes together. If you're taking notes, you can write down some practical ways to do this. We'll be done in just a couple of minutes. Number one, practical ways to be united. Number one is to treat people like dogs. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Let me explain. The Bible says, the Bible says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. If you have a dog or a cat or whatever, you accept that it has bad breath, it sheds, and you'll sometimes often have to clean up its messes. <laughs> you accept that, right? It's going to cost money. But then you get something priceless in return. Then you get something priceless in return. Do the same with your fellow believer in whatever church you call home. 
Yeah. Number two is to refuse to be offended. You know, you don't have to ever be offended. It's a choice. The Bible says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Each time you become offended, it's because you chose to. You don't have to. This is Jesus' secret of reaching lost people. They knew he wasn't offended by them. Oh, for sure, there were parts of their behavior he wanted to change for their good and for other people's good, but they knew he wasn't offended by them. They knew he liked them. God calls us to live the same way. Number three is don't insist on uniformity. Like we read a moment ago, the body is a unit that's made up of many parts. Its parts are many. They form one body, so it is with Christ. If I can default into coach speak for a moment, there is no I in team, but there are four different letters. <laughs> and that's what God calls us to recognize. Number four, think of your church as family, not franchise. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Healthy families overlook each other's difference. Healthy families put up with each other. They keep showing up at Thanksgiving and Christmas every single year. <laughs> yeah. Number five is to never quit on your family. Healthy, fathers, uh, healthy families don't. Scripture says anyone who doesn't love his brother whom he has seen can't love God whom he's not seen. And then the last one is to remember what's at stake. Listen to the Lord praying. May they, you and me, us, May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. You know, we start off by asking, what does Jesus pray for us? There it is. <laughs> there it is. Out of his love, out of his wisdom, out of his understanding, out of his power, what does he pray for us? That we would be one. Let me ask you something this morning. Are you united to your church or are you just a customer at a franchise? That's something that you decide inside of you, in your heart, but just know this, it's what Jesus is praying for you. It's what Jesus is praying for us. I invite you to bow your head, close your eyes this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. And, you know, there's a part of us this morning that, that thinks we would give anything to be part of a chain on a beach that saves the lives of two boys. God, help us to understand that that's exactly what's happening when we're united. When we choose to grab the hand of the person next to us in the church that we call home and be a family, that that's exactly what you're using us for. God, help us to understand that. Help us to hear that. Maybe this morning you need to make a simple decision between you and God to say, you know what? I'm not going to treat my church like a franchise anymore. I'm going to treat it like my family. I'm not going to treat the people in it like a crowd I'm going to treat them like my brothers and sisters. As you make that choice this morning, or any morning, you're actually answering Jesus' prayer for you. You're actually taking his yoke on your shoulders, and that's where you find rest for your soul. God, send us from here knowing <laughs> that you're fashioning us into a chain, sending us into the world to save those who are far from you. We pray for that. Send us from here knowing that we participate with you when we choose to be united. We pray it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please? It's great to be with you this morning. It's great to look forward to a nap during the Super Bowl this afternoon. Who's playing at halftime anyway? I haven't heard this yet. Do we know? I'm too old to know who that is. So uh, there you go. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you through this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon. I just want to be. I just want.